welcome back. So this episode is going to actually be pretty short and depending on if you are in my A day or B day, it could be either week 24 or week 25, just with the asynchronous um, student holidays thrown in there right before we transition into hybrid concurrent learning. So anyway, a weird schedule is coming up, but uh, the good thing is this episode is going to be pretty short, and that means that there's not too, too much content, but we'll, you know, have time to practice it and review it. So <coughs> this episode's focus today will still be personality, uh, but specifically looking at the behaviorist theories and then going into the social cognitive theories of understanding personality. So the very first thing is I want you to think back to learning about behavior and behaviorism, specifically with B.F. Skinner. He's quite important regarding, you know, being an early behaviorist, all about operant conditioning. He was one of our main guys that we learned about in our learning unit. Um, and the big thing that Skinner focused on, as well as a number of the early behaviorists, is that only behavior that is observable can actually be studied. Those internal factors aren't necessarily super important and they weren't studied regarding those you know, early behaviorists. So connecting this to personality, if you studied behaviorism, <coughs> personality is a function of the environment. Meaning that, you know, it probably is pretty predictable because our personality is going to be based on our history of reinforcements and punishments, you know, our interaction with the environment. Um, and this ties back into everything that we learned about in the learning unit. Now, when there are inconsistencies within someone's personality, that means that, you know, there's sometimes, there's possibly, it's because of, sorry, the actual situation. It's not about cognition. It's not about internal factors. And that's pretty much it regarding that behaviorist point of view. And so just knowing that regarding the behaviorists and looking at personality, we were missing a lot. This wasn't enough for a number of psychologists, you know, looking at this perspective and way of thinking <coughs> regarding personality. So something was missing here. And what happened was we will move into, you know, that social cognitive theory of understanding what personality is. And within this social cognitive theory, it's proposing that personality is due to a combination of a bunch of things like environmental conditions or environmental factors, our behavior, but also cognitive factors, which is what the behaviorists left out. They didn't worry about that because they couldn't actually measure it. But the social cognitive theorists really took that into consideration. And the two ones that are important for us are Julian Rotter and Albert Bandura. They're gonna take behaviorism and push it further. They'll start looking at the behaviorist frame of thinking regarding understanding personality, but they're going to take it to the next level, uh, seek to really understand what's going on, and then tie in some internal cognitive factors that are going on, hence social cognitive theory. Um, <coughs> and think about it, you know, Albert Bandura, we talked about it, he has this social learning theory, which we'll review in a moment, but he, looked at that Bobo doll study, looking at observational learning, or in other words, we imitate behavior of others. Um, and, you know, looking at, well, why? Why why would modeling be important with us then doing that actual behavior through observational learning? 
But before we get to ben Bandura, um, let's talk about Julian Rotter and his expectancy theory. <coughs> now, even though you might not see expectancy theory as an actual vocab term, Rotter studies locus of controls. And what he really looked at was we learn what to expect in different situations, meaning that our behavior is governed by those expectations and how much we actually care about the outcome. So that belief in your own ability to actually affect the outcome or change that outcome is referred to as our locus of controls. And when we look at a locus of control, we have two possibilities, an internal locus of control or an external locus of control. And if someone has an internal locus of control, they have very high expectations of being able to exert some control in that specific situation. They really want to affect that outcome. It's the, a high internal ability to actually change that outcome. You are in control. Whereas having a more external locus of control, it's the belief that the outcome is actually determined by factors outside of your control, like fate, luck, or destiny, or just, you know what, it is what it is sometimes. <coughs> and although I tend to have a very high internal locus of control, every now and then, you know, there are some things that are just completely out of our control and we can't really expect that we individually can affect that outcome. So it is a lot of times out of our control. Now, locus of controls can tie into different personalities, such as having a quote type A personality or quote type B personality. Someone having a type A personality would prefer that control, have you know high expectations for themselves, tend to be organized in a way, um, but the big thing is actually knowing what's going on. Sometimes being uptight can be put into that bubble as well. Whereas type B would be more relaxed, free flowing, go, going with the flow type of thing. I personally tend to have a more type A personality, which gets me through life, but also gives a ton of stress to myself. Um, so you can see type A and type B personalities tied in with having that specific locus of control. Um, <coughs> to look at, you know, locus of controls in a different frame um, of thought. Having an internal locus of control could be that personal belief of I control my destiny, whereas an external locus of control, that frame of thought could be others control my destiny. To put it in a different way, let's say a tree fell on your car. Having an internal locus of control in that specific situation, you could be saying, it's my fault. I should have parked in the garage, not on the street where trees are, and it was windy that day, so it's my fault that I parked there. Or having an external locus of control for that specific situation, you could be thinking, well, why does this happen to me? Why does the universe um, hate me? Why am I so unlucky? Thinking about you know others controlling this specific destiny of the tree falling on your car. All right, to go into <coughs> the next important social cognitive theorist regarding personality, we have Albert Bandura. And like I said, we've talked about him in our observational learning part of our learning unit, which was a while ago. He did that Bobo doll experiment. And so definitely consider refreshing your memory of that Bo Bobo doll experiment if you're like, what, what's going on here? But the big thing with Bandura is his social learning theory, and we'll review parts of it. 
what he said was, personality is learned in social situations. It's not as simple as just the environment influencing our personalities. Um, there are a bunch of other things going on here. <coughs> and there are three components of Bandura's learning theory. We have observational learning, self-efficacy, which we kind of talked about, but we're gonna review it, and reciprocal determinism, which is our new vocab word with Bandura, a new buzzword to put under his name. So to review observational learning, the big thing that Bandura studied within this Bobo doll experiment was and concluded is when you see something modeled, you then do it. It's all about imitation. Now, a lot of you need to work with expanding your vocab when you're defining observational learning. A good, good terms to use is imitation, modeling, looking at someone, watching someone or so, you know, someone else doing a specific behavior and then you yourself modeling that behavior or imitating that behavior, something along the lines. A lot of you are saying observational learning is learning by observation. You're not wrong, but that's not going to earn you the point in an FRQ. You need to expand that vocab, prove to the reader that you know this um, and you are capable of using different vocabulary there. And he uses that Bobo doll experiment there with observational learning. The next part of the social learning theory is self-efficacy, which is all about your own level belief in your um, ability to be successful or not successful at a task. And that self-efficacy can be high or low. And the big thing is a specific task. <coughs> For example, I would have high self-efficacy when um, I guess, let's say baking a box of brownies. You know, I know how to do it. I can, you know, follow those directions. I have the vegetable oil, I have the eggs, I have the water, mix it together and then pop it in the oven. Whereas my self-efficacy would be quite low if I was trying to bake something without a recipe. Um, maybe a souffle, maybe creme brulee, um, something that would require lots of effort that I personally don't have practice in. So the belief in my ability to do something in that regard is quite low. And so it varies by situation. Again, the big thing is not just the environment, but the specific situations within the environment affects, you know, our own belief in what we can do. And the last part of the social learning theory is reciprocal determinism. It's all about an interaction of three things, the interaction of your mental state, your behavior, and the environment. And all of those can affect the other. So <coughs> your behavior affects internal cognitive factors as well as environmental factors. Um, environmental factors affect your behavior and internal cognitive factors. And lastly, internal cognitive factors affect your behavior and the environment in which you choose to be in. So thinking about it in, let's say, learning to bungee jump is your behavior. Obviously, that behavior of learning how to bungee jump will affect the environment that you choose to be in. Um, so maybe you then surround yourself with bungee jumping friends. And then that actual behavior of lear learning to bungee jump will additionally affect your cognitive factors. Um, your thinking and feelings about risky activities could become more intense, could increase. I don't know, but there's something changing there. And all of these um, affect each other. So it's that interaction. And if you think about it in another way with regarding reciprocal determinism is 
you know, would your personality differ if you lived in a different environment like Alaska versus a farm in the Midwest versus Seattle where it rains a lot versus a big city like New York City versus a war-torn country versus a tropical place? And most likely, um, the environment will influence, you know, your own personality and then who you choose to stay around and then your own cognitive factors. They all interact. The last thing that I'm going to dive into is the culture and self. So <coughs> thinking about our personality, but also the environment that we're in. And that environment that we're in is very, it's determined by the culture that exists there. And so the big question here is, well, how much of our personality is based on specific cultures in particular environments? It does depend on if you or that culture has a collectivism view or an individual uh, individualism view, sorry. When we think of individualism, I want you to think about a culture giving priority to one's own goals over group goals. Another thing to think about is you tend to identify with yourself rather than the group. And then when we think on the opposite end, a collectivism culture, you're tending to give priority to group goals and identifying with the group over the self. So those are very broad examples. I'm gonna go into some specifics. If you're curious about this, this isn't a person that you'll be tested on, but a lot of this is quite fascinating. His name's Harry Triandis. Um, he's going to develop this theoretical framework of individualist cultures and collectivist cultures. And the goal with this is to <coughs> help researchers study and compare cultural groups. And what Triandis will study is ecological psychology, which is fascinating. It's all about the environment and psychology. It's a cool field to, you know, I, I feel like take interest in, as well as anthropology basically the study of human history. Um, and when we think about collectivist cultures and individualist cultures, a lot of these values within each culture exist on a continuum where there are variations that exist within as well as among cultures. It's not always black and white here, it's very gray. For example, um, there, I'm gonna talk about two collectivist cultures, India and Japan. India emphasizes in-group cohesion, so being part of the group, um, also tolerance for authoritarianism, as well as acceptance of hierarchy. Whereas Japan, who is an additionally a collectivist culture, but they emphasize different things like cooperation and empathy. And looking on the other end with individualist cultures, Scandinavia, Australia, and New Zealand really appreciate and need autonomy independence as well as uniqueness. Whereas the United States and Western Europe, other individualist cultures, they're going to emphasize competitiveness, hierarchy and social strata, as well as independence. So even though all of those cultures are examples of individualist cultures, they each value different things. It's a continuum, it's not all or nothing here. And something to consider when looking at individualism and collectivism, you're not gonna need to memorize all of this, but I want you to have a pretty good understanding and familiarity with the general differences regarding value contrasts within an individualist culture as well as a collectivist culture. And I'm gonna kind of run through these at the very end. <coughs> so when we think about the value of the self, when we look at an individualist culture, it's very independent versus a collectivist culture, it's interdependent. Life tasks, 
individualist cultures emphasize discovering and expressing one's own uniqueness, whereas collectivist cultures focus on and emphasize maintaining connections and fitting in. Another value contrast is, well, what matters? For individualist cultures, it's me, my personal achievement, and my own rights. Versus collectivist cultures, it's the us, group achievements and social responsibility. A value contrast regarding coping methods. We talked about this when, we, when you learned about stress in that emotion section of this unit. Individualist cultures tend to change their reality versus collectivist cultures accommodate to reality. <coughs> Emotion-focused versus problem-focused coping. Value contrast regarding morality. Think Kohlberg here. Um, he studied morality. Individualist cultures look at its morality is all about being defined or it's defined by individuals. Whereas collectivist cultures, they define, it's defined, sorry, morality is defined by social networks or peers. Value contrast regarding relationships. Individualist cultures tend to emphasize many not super, super close relationships and confrontation is acceptable versus collectivist cultures, very few but close relationships and harmony is valued. And last but not least, attributing behavior. Regarding individualist cultures, it's all about behavior reflecting own, one's own personality and attitudes versus collectivist culture, their behavior reflects the social norms. So even though, you know, it does exist on a continuum. There are different aspects and parts of our personality that would more fall in with an individualist culture compared to a collectivist culture, specifically in the United States. So don't stress yourself by trying to memorize all of this because it's a lot, but the big thing is familiarizing yourself regarding you know, how does someone's culture affect their own personality as well as how they think about themselves. So just something to think about. And that's pretty much it for today. A lot of today is interacting. We're going to do some practice during class, so um, it'll go by pretty quickly. Um, but anyway, yeah, thank you for listening and, you know, I'm glad it was a short and sweet episode.